Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qalam podcast Hurdle series, a study of Imam Ghazali's Minhajul Abidin by Sheikh Mikail Ahmed Smith. Jazakallah khair for your continued support, and we pray that this is beneficial. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyyana wa Mawlana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wa hubba amalin yuqarribuna ila hubbik ya arhamar rahimeen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the love, His love. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the love of those actions that will gain His love. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the love of those people that He loves. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to alleviate the, the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Philistine. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove them from under the oppression of the Zalimeen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy for all of our brothers and sisters who have lost their loved ones. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give all those who have passed away the rank of shuhada or martyrs. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Um, we ask Allah in these gatherings to give us the, nurture, the, the nourishment that we need in order to deal with difficult times. Um, truly, truly it is our deen and our understanding of our deen that helps us in these difficult moments. Uh, it helps us in these difficult moments, the understanding that we've been given by the Qur'an and the understanding that we've been given by the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of the things that gets messed up the most when it's a time of fitna, time of fitna, when there's a lot going on, one of the things that gets messed up the most is our ibadah, our worship. As we focus on what's going on and we should be aware uh, it, it, it gets hard to focus in our ibadah. And, the, and, the, and the, the crazy part about it is this is the time that we need more ibadah. We need more focus. But the circumstances are su such that it, it pulls our attention. Um, and that is why there's a narration that says, Al-ibadah fil haraj The Prophet wasallam he said, To worship God in a time of fitna is like migrating. And migration, hijrah, was a very big Deed. It was very difficult deed. It was leaving behind everything. And so in the time of fitna, in order, uh, focusing, giving oneself the ability to worship in the time of fitna is, is extremely important. And that's why we're studying this book. The book that we've been studying over the last number of weeks uh, is, is Minhajul Abidin. It's the pathway of worship. And so Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, has been teaching us that as you're on this path of ibadah, there are certain things that are going to get up in your way. They're going to they're going to be stopping you. And as long as you're aware of them, if you're cognizant of them, if you are aware of them before, then you can protect yourself. You could you can be aware of them and you can preemptively know that they're coming. And so he took us through a number of things until finally he reached to uh, having taqwa in the heart. He reached the, to the importance of taqwa in the heart. And he said that you have to protect your heart from four things. These are four things that are going to creep up in your heart. And the moment they creep up in your heart, they're going to stop you. They're going to get in the way of you being able to do more ibadah. Remember, ibadah is what's going to keep us strong in hard times. And these are the things that if they come into the heart, they get in the way of your ibadah. Last week, we talked about one. Last week, we talked about one. The one we talked about last week was in Arabic, it's called tulul amal. It's, it's when you're looking way farther into the future, not cognizant of the fact that you may leave the world at any time, right? The believer lives in a way where they're aware that death is coming at any moment. And so 
They keep working towards the akhirah. They keep working towards that, right? Um, and at the same time, they work for their, their dunya as well, as the, so many ahadith indicate towards. So one of the things we talked about last week was qatulul amal, or just always looking so far in the future, not cognizant of the shortness of life. Today, we have two, uh, we have two things to talk about, sicknesses of the heart, that, that completely, 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 once they creep in, they destroy your relationship with Allah, and they destroy your relationship with, with ibadah. Two of them, and we'll talk about both of them, bi-ithnillahi ta'ala. One of them um, is called hasad. Uh, it's called hasad, it's called jealousy. Um, and, and I, and I want to go into this concept of jealousy because um, there are so many ahadith that talk about how dangerous it is. And I'm going to begin with a verse of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَتَمَنَّوْ مَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَعْضُكُمْ عَلَىٰ Do not desire what God has blessed some people with over other people. And the idea there is this. You know, I was, I was preparing for this talk and every time I look at the Quran, now that everything is happening in Philistine, the whole Quran just sounds so much more real. These ahadith sound so, so different now that we're seeing such difficulties in front of us. And here's the deal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always testing us through other people. Hear me out on this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always testing us through other people. Now sometimes the test is that you see somebody who's going through a hardship and you're not at that moment. And your vision of that, your cognizance, your awareness of that hardship should create a reaction within you. And, and, and before I go forward, I want to pause for a moment. We, we talk about ibadah, right? This whole book was out about worship. Ibadah is the word in Arabic. Ibadah, worship. But we have to understand that there's an ibadah of the limbs and there's an ibadah of the heart. Hear me out on this. This is deep. There's an ibadah of the limbs and there's an ibadah of the heart. I don't care how many bombs are dropped on Philistine. They may be able to stop ibadah of the limbs, but they can't stop the ibadah of the heart. The heart is the strongest thing and the thing that you need in hard times. Because you could break my legs so I can't pray. But you can't break, break my heart so I don't have hope in Allah. So what I, I want you to understand is this, that the ibadah of the heart is, is essential in these times. Sometimes we start talking about the heart and you're like, yo, like pragmatic, bro. Like what can we do practically? And I'm like, there's nothing more practical than having a strong heart and building a strong heart in the time of fitna. How, how do you expect yourself to say alhamdulillah when a calamity hits you except if you've built a strong heart? And so please understand that there's ibadah of the limbs and there's ibadah of the heart. And at the time of fitna, I'm telling you, when the time of Dajjal comes, when the end times comes, it's the ibadah of the heart which makes or breaks a mu'min in those tough times. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. As Imam, uh, was I reading? I can't remember exactly the author I was reading, but one of the authors broke it down. It's like, there are some people who are perfect with the ibadah of the heart, but no ibadah of the limbs, right? They're like, you know, uh, their heart tawakkul is like on like high, no salah. You know what I mean? And then there's some people whose ibadah of the limbs is, mashallah, tahajjud, everything, backbiting the whole world though. And then there's others where we want to be at, where our ibadah, our worship of our limbs is, is good. We're trying, we're pushing through. 
But more importantly, and I want to say more importantly, is that you're cognizant of the ibadah of the heart. Now, what does it mean, though? Like, okay, Sheikh, I understand that the heart has to worship God, but what does that exactly mean? What it means is just as there are haram and halal or uh, 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 things for your limbs, things you should do and shouldn't do for your limbs, similarly, there are states in your heart that should be there and there are states of your heart that should not be there. But it gets deeper. The states of your heart differ based on the situation that you're in in a given moment. And the believer should get to the point where they're able to put their heart where it needs to be. What do I mean by that? Right now, as we're witnessing, I, I got a message from someone, uh, someone who I think he attends the halakha, and he's like, Sheikh, like, but why? Just that deep question, but why? And here, this is a moment where the heart has to have firm certainty in God being almighty, all-knowing and all-just. There has to be deep inside of you this deep conviction that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not ghafil, is not heedless of what the oppressors do. And that inside, for sure, there is a deep wisdom of what's going on. That is what the heart needs in these difficult moments. And so, let's get back to this concept of, 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 of jealousy. As I look to another person, the person that I'm looking at will either be in a state of blessing or a state of, 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 of no blessings, right? Now, first of all, blessings aren't always packaged like Eid presents. You know, do you understand what I mean? Blessings are not always packaged in the form of what looks amazing and what's good. And that's something that a believer in this room, you have to have deep in your heart that, that some, some uh, hardships are wrapped, some blessings are wrapped up in hardship. Some blessings are wrapped up in hardship. And so here's the deal. If you see a believer, if you see a good person with a blessing in their deen, I mean, this person is, 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 is holding on to their prayers. They're doing what they have to do. And you see this person. They're in your inner circle. They're around you. Then Imam Ghazali and others, they say, you should actually have a desire in your heart to be like that person. So here we have this desire, this, we look up to people naturally. So the, the, the role that your heart should have, if you see someone who's going to Fajr every day, got their deen on point, never backbiting in good company, and you see them, the good heart, a strong heart in that moment, a healthy heart sees that and goes, MashaAllah, MashaAllah. And the healthy heart even goes, I want to be like you, yo. When I grow up, I'm going to be like you one day. That's what a healthy heart does in that moment. Now, how does a sick heart react? A sick heart acts differently. Here's an example. It was the battle of Tabuk. The battle of Tabuk was this huge moment where the prophet needed a lot of funds and resources for this battle against the Romans. It was huge. It was like the biggest battle that would ever happen in the Muslims' time. So he, he did a fundraiser. Everyone, bring whatever you can. Now, some of the wealthy people, Abdurrahman bin Auf, they brought tons of wealth. And whenever they would bring tons of wealth, the munafiqeen, the hypocrites, would look at it and be like, show off. Haters. Haters. They can't see good. They see a good action, but all they see is evil. All they see is bad. And so right now, I need you to look in yourself. I need you to look within yourself. Because we need strong hearts right now. When you see somebody doing good, 
When you see someone doing a lot of good, is your first reaction to be a hater or your first reaction to be like, mashallah, you on point? Then there were others. Some people would bring charity and they would only bring a little. What do you think the haters would say when someone brings a little? What's Allah going to do with that? That's all you got. So when I bring a lot, you call me a show off. When I bring a little, you're saying Allah doesn't need that. All that Allah needs from me in this moment is to do the best I can. And all Allah needs from you in this moment is to not be a hater. So, so if the person you're seeing is blessed with a blessing in the deen, man, my wife told me, she was teaching this class to some Muslim kids. And uh, she was like, they were talking about healthy jealousy. Healthy jealousy. Because a believer, that's what I'm talking about right now. I see somebody that's in the masjid for every fudger. I'm like, yo, that's my man right there. Front stuff. Not hater, like, oh, his family probably doesn't like him or something. I don't know. <laughs> He's probably got family issues. Like, that's what we do. Nah, I'm looking at that person like, mashallah. Mashallah. And maybe through your thinking good of that person, Allah will bless you with that too. Maybe through just that thought that, you know what? You are a good person. You are a good person. So my wife was telling me, she was like, I was teaching this kid this concept of like healthy jealousy. And this one kid, maybe 13, 14 years old, she asked, uh, she asked a class like, what was something that is a healthy jealousy you had? And then one kid said, uh, I saw some, uh, this, this Muslim lady who passed away, I think it was in Philistine, and her janazah had like hundreds of people. And I just wished I was her in that moment. I felt this small when I heard that, yo. Meaning he, he, he said that I was jealous of how many people respected and honored how she lived her life. But that's a healthy heart. That kid has a healthy heart. That he sees something good and he's like, inshallah, Allah will give me something like that. So the first thing is if we see blessings. Now here's where it gets tricky. Sometimes we see not a blessing in the deen, but a blessing in someone's dunya. And their world, their world, like their car, their money, their wealth, their family, your dunya, all your stuff here. And alhamdulillah, we see so much of each other's stuff. That's why the scholars, they say, Umar ibn Khattab, he used to say, jealousy only creeps up with people who are next to each other. So he used to say that qaraba shouldn't live next door to one another. They should visit each other but not live next door. Yeah, it's deep. So Imam Ghazad, uh, Umar ibn Khattab, one day he wrote a letter to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. He says, Al-Aqraba'a, family members, this, y'all might not like it, but this is what he thought. He said, Al-Aqraba'a, family members, yatazawaruna wa la yatajawaruna. Visit each other, but don't live next door. Because the moment you live next door, that jealousy creeps up. But let's get back to the point. So you see somebody who's blessed in their dunya. Here's where it gets tricky. Because the dunya could be both a blessing and a musibah. And so you could actually have a clean heart and say, you know what, Ya Allah, mashallah, you've blessed Muhammad, you've blessed Fatima with, with mashallah, a lot of wealth. Ya Allah, and this is the hadith, the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, if you see a person who has wealth and they spend it in haram, they spend it in a way which clearly you know displeases God. Clearly, in a way, you know this pleases God. And if you see that, I want you to realize how powerful your heart is in this moment. If you see that, that expense, that splurging, that kind of wastage of money, 
and in your heart you think if I had it I would do it too even though you're broke the hadith says you get the same sin as the person who's actually spending that money so what that means and now the other side is true you see a person with extreme wealth who's giving it in the path of Allah helping the masjid every chance they get donating to this supporting this cause in Philistine supporting this and you're like Ya Allah right now I'm broke got college college uh, salary you know what I mean and uh, but if I had it Ya Allah if I had it I would give it here's the deal the Muslim isn't judged just on the action because as I told you there's two types of worship worship of the limbs and worship of the heart which one is more important the worship of the heart so the Prophet says you don't have the money but you made a sincere intention Ya Allah if I had the wealth Wallahi, I would give it in the path of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ says, you get the same reward as the one who's spending in the path of Allah and you're broke as a joke. <laughs> but you're sincere and you truly believe that. So, so when we see people with blessings, now hold on though. What about when we see people struggling as we all are? As we all are, as I told you, your heart has to adapt to the situation and know what God wants from you. What does God want from us in this moment that we are witnessing difficulty from our brothers and sisters? There's a few things I think we should reflect on. Show gratitude for what you have. Show deep gratitude, deep gratitude. Hug your children, hug your mother, call your mother, call your dad, all that whack family drama. If now you still have that, what will wake you up? There are videos we all seen where they're asking men, what do you do when this war is over? He's like, I just want to see my mom and dad. Some dudes, I just want to sleep, right? <laughs> SubhanAllah. But, but, but if now you still got drama in the family, like what does it take? I don't mean this by any kind of joke. Does it need to be on us literally for us to value family? Exactly. I mean, I mean, inshallah. The point I'm trying to make is one of the things that we have to do is not feel guilty for what God has blessed you with, but have deep appreciation. And true gratitude comes when you realize that it came from Allah and Allah can take it away anytime. Please memorize that, write that down, do whatever you have to do. But realize that the same one who gave it is the same one that can take it away anytime. And my stability is just as feeble as other people's stability. The illusion of our stability is purely an illusion. We are no different from people on any place on this planet. And so the idea is when we see people are struggling and now obviously part of gratitude is now I'm going to hug my children tighter. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to value my wife. I'm going to value my husband. I'm going to value my mom. I'm going to value those people because I see others being deprived of that and wishing they had what I had. So I'm going to show gratitude. Number one, when I see that, and then I'm going to do everything I can to help in that cause. And that's what the whole Ummah is doing right now. And all of us are trying to do. I'm going to be at every rally I can. I'm going to be at every donation. Everything I can possibly do, possibly to show that, Ya Allah, I'm with the oppressed people, wherever they are in the world. However, I can be there for them. So this is how when we see people's blessings, we should react. Now, the topic, though, is things that destroy our heart. Remember, we're talking about having healthy, strong hearts to get us through hardship. And Imam Ghazali, he says that Amal hasad, hasad, jealousy is the word 
فَإِنَّهُ مُفْسِدْ لِلطَّاعَاتِ الْبَعِثْ عَلَى الْخَطِيئَاتِ Hasid is something that will destroy your righteous actions. You cannot be a true believer and have hasid within your heart. I mean that. You know why? Yo, low-key hasid ain't about the person. In reality, hasid is you got, you got, yeah. You, nah, you got issues with, I hate, it's hard to say, you have problems with Allah's division. You're not, it's not the person. It's not the person. In reality, you're upset with Allah. Allah, why did you give this person and not give me? And so there are so many, so many narrations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few, but there are so many narrations that talk about uh, that the problem with, with hasad. There's one narration, Wahab bin Munabbah. He says, the, the, the jealous person is an enemy to my blessings. He's an enemy of God's blessings. And, and God, Allah is kareem. He's always blessing people. And so as he blesses more and more people, you just become more and more angry, more upset. So true, what is, what is jealousy in Islamic concept? The, the answer is karahatu. You dislike a blessing that is being given to a person. And, and you want that to, to, to be taken away. You want that to be, be removed. So what does he say here? Imam Ghazali, he says, This is a sickness that destroys everyone. And then he says, the Prophet وسلم, in one hadith, he says that Al-Hasad Ya'kulul Hasanat. Jealousy will consume your righteous deeds the way fire consumes wood. So the first problem with Hasad is that it will destroy all your righteous deeds. Number two. Hasid will cause you to disobey God and bring evil out of you. Wahab bin Munabbah, he says there's three things that a jealous person does. When they're around you, they flatter you. Oh my God, so amazing. Wow, really? So happy for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you're gone, they backbite you. And whenever you're going through a hardship, they're happy as they can be. They're happy as they can be. And that was the state. That was the state of the kuffar of Mecca. Whenever they saw the Prophet going through hardship, it did nothing but make them more happy. So number three, the thing that it does to you as well, is that uh, it wears you out. <laughs> this is the crazy part about jealousy. One of the scholars, he said, and I'm going to read this to you. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. He said, uh, the effect of jealousy will appear in you before it appears in your enemy. Meaning, once you get hot, once you get upset, that starts affecting you well before the other person is affected. In fact, in fact, Imam Ghazali says, one of the things you need to realize, Imam Muhasibi says, that hasid is like a rock you throw at somebody and it hits you in your own eye. Because the, the, the anger that you get, the frustration that you get, you're the one sitting there can't sleep at night. My man is over there chilling. The one who you're jealous of don't even know. He's, he's chilling. He's like, alhamdulillah. But you tossing and turning. Because why did God bless such and such? Why did God bless such and such? Why did God bless such and such? So he says the third effect of hasid is at ta'ab. It wears you out. Walham min ghayri fa'ida. And so many worries without any benefit. Rather, 
it tires you out and there's no benefit and there's sin on top of that. Ibn Simak, he used to say, Lem bil I never seen an oppressive person that looks more like the oppressed than the jealous person. Because the effect of it is hitting them, not hitting the person that I have jealous against, jealousy against. And last but not least, well, actually, there's a few more. The next one is that jealousy blinds you. Jealousy blinds your heart. Remember what I told you. In times of fitna, in times of tribulation, you need a heart that recognizes good as good and falsehood as falsehood. I can't emphasize this enough. One of the signs of the day of judgment as we get closer away, further away from the Prophet ﷺ is that the ma'roof looks like munkar and the munkar looks like ma'roof. What that means is the good looks bad and the bad looks good. And, 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 and like, okay. You know, there's a thought that if I lived at the Prophet's time and I saw his miracles, my iman would be stronger. Because I saw the, the moon split. I saw water come from his fingers. I saw food multiply in front of him. But one scholar said, yeah, you don't see the miracles from that time, but now you see the prophecies coming true right in front of you. We are literally watching at a time where the Prophet said the good will become evil and the evil will become good. A, a person will be trusted that has no trustworthiness in their heart. A person will say a lie and it spread across the horizons like this. All of this we're witnessing before our eyes. So what does he say will happen? The fourth thing that jealousy does to you, it blinds your heart. It becomes, it, it, it takes ownership. Let me explain to you what that means. There were, there were Jewish people at the time of the Prophet who used to prophesize the coming of the final prophet in Medina. They prophesied there's a prophet coming. And they used to tell, tell the Arabs that, you know what, when this final prophet comes, watch how we rule over you. This is what the Jews of Medina used to say to the people around them, the Arabs. Well, finally, the final prophet came. And he wasn't from Bani Ishaq. He was from Bani Ismail. He was an Arab. And there's nothing that made them angrier than for God's blessing to be with the Arabs. These people, these people, why is God's blessings with them? We're the chosen people. And they became so jealous that it's narrated that a few of the Yahud, they went to visit the Prophet وسلم, and they stayed with him all morning. And they're walking home, Ka'b bin Ashraf and his cousin, they're walking home after spending a whole day with the Prophet وسلم, and they're quiet because they've all seen the signs in him and they know he's true. So they're walking back and finally one of them says to the others, Ahua Hua, is he the one? <laughs> Ahua Hua, is he the one? And the other one goes, Hua Hua. <laughs> he's the one. He's that final prophet. He's him. <laughs> what? He's him. That's what it means in Arabic. He's him. So then he says, because now they, it, was, it was supposed to be us. How are the Arabs the one that were blessed? We were supposed to be the ones. It was supposed to be us. Habibi, you're supposed to follow truth wherever it comes from. It doesn't matter who, whose mouth it is. It doesn't matter who's the oppressor. Be against them. It doesn't matter who's the oppressed. Be with them. It doesn't matter what color skin they are. But he said, what do we do now? Hua hua? Yeah, it's him. So what do we do now? He said, we fight him to our last breath. Yep, exactly. Instead of follow... Because the hasid, the jealousy was so strong 
that it's not going to let me. No. Mm -mm. I know who you're supposed to be. I know who you claim to be. I know you're a final prophet, but I am never, ever, because that jealousy was so strong, it blinded the heart. It blinded the heart. And what it means by blinding the heart, it doesn't see truth as truth. And that's why I'm saying at this time, this is what we need. So look what he says. He says, qalbi." The heart becomes blind when you become jealous. The heart becomes blind when you become jealous. The way I looked at it is, is, is there's, there's this concept, y'all, that a believer, what's the opposite of hasid? How do you defeat this? Well, there's a hadith in Imam Ghazali. He says, the cure for it is this. It's beautiful. He says, the cure for it is that Sorry for the over, like all these Arabic terms, but nasliha is an Arabic term means you wish well for everyone. Like the believer's state. And, and subhanAllah, I'm so happy. I see so many converts in the room right now. And it's like, it's like this deen will change your life if you truly let it enter your heart. What is nasliha? Nasliha means every human being you interact with, you wish well for them. You wish well, you want good for them. There is never a moment where you're looking at anyone, khususan, especially another believer, where you, for a moment in mind, don't want good for them. Now you may think, well, what do I think about the person who's like doing wrong? How do I wish well for them? Well, that's easy. Wishing well in this case is that you stop what you're doing. Because if you keep going down this road, we all know where you're headed. So the, to wish well for everyone. So nasiha, wahiya ibaq. You should want not only that the blessings, here's where it gets deep. You should not only want your brother or sister to be blessed, but you should want the blessings to increase. Like, like yo, there's a dua. There's a dua that you read in the morning. There's a dua. Ma asbaha bi min ni'matin aw bi ahadin min khalqik the Prophet said, if you read this dua, you have shown gratitude for the whole day. What does the dua mean? Let me, let me translate. You wake up in the morning and you say, oh Allah, whatever blessing I have, I have this morning and whatever blessing anybody has, it's only from you alone. For you is praise, for you is gratitude. The Prophet is teaching us that you could use somebody else's blessings to be grateful to Allah for. Like, like, I'm looking at my man across the street with the Model X and I'm like, yo, ya Allah, alhamdulillah. <laughs> I'm literally looking across the street like, alhamdulillah. Because, because I realize that Allah doesn't run out. <laughs> Nor does he not know what's good for me. So he never runs out. You got to understand some things that are good for other people would destroy you. They would destroy you. You would be a wreck. And you think you making dua like I should have that. Allah's like, you don't need that. You don't need that. There was a man named Sa'laba. There was a man named Sa'laba. He came to the Prophet wasallam and he said, Ya Rasulullah, make dua Allah bless me with wealth. And the Prophet said, maybe it's not good for you. So he dipped. A week later, he comes back. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, make dua Allah give me wealth. The Prophet said the same thing. Maybe it's not good for you. So he dipped. 
He came back a third time. Now the Prophet is Karimun. You keep asking him, okay, okay. He asked him a third time, the Prophet made dua. They say, listen to this. They say that he used to be called Hamamatul Masjid. Hamama, Hamam, like a, the pigeon of the masjid because of how much he was in the masjid. But then he got a few goats. And because of the Prophet's dua, those goats started to multiply. So he had to move into burbs. <laughs> All of Dallas is a burb. They're like, huh? What do you mean? <laughs> he had to move out where he had more acreage. And they said what ended up happening is that his, his flock grew so much that he was so further out of the city that we only used to see him. We only used to see him when on Juma. Now, he thought that wealth was good. The Prophet ﷺ told him. So I'm trying to get you to the crux of, of your, you're making dua, you're asking for what is good. But the, the thing you have to realize is that Allah knows what's best for you. And, you. and I know we say it. I know, I know you know it. But we don't know it. I know you know it cognitively. But inside you don't know it yet. And I don't know it yet. And we're struggling to learn that. That Allah truly knows what's best for me. And that whole verse. Perhaps you love something that is bad for you and perhaps you hate something that is good for you. But Allah knows best. And you don't know anything. You don't know anything. So, so in those moments where you're like, Ya Allah, why? Why is, why is he blessed? Why is she blessed with such a, a great family and father and I'm not? Why is this person blessed with wealth and I'm not? My man woke up and inherited 100 grand. I'm like struggling. Why? Allah's like, you don't know what you would be had you had that. And you don't know what he would be had he not had that. Man, I was, I was, it was, it was like, like 20 years ago now. <clears throat> I went to, to Damascus for a short time. I was in a taxi cab, right? And I was a new Muslim, so I had like romanticized, like religious practice in the Muslim world, right? So I heard the Adhan going off of Damascus, beautiful city, Muslims, amazing. And uh, while the Adhan was going on, there was this line at the uh, bakery for khubz. And uh, I was a new Muslim, don't judge me, y'all, okay? So I said to the taxi driver, I was like, uh, y'all gonna judge me anyway, though, I know y'all. Okay, I said to him, I said, uh, like, why are they waiting for food? Don't they know, like, Salah is being called? I was a new Muslim, all right? Yeah, was new Muslim. So he, subhanAllah, he's just, he's a simple man. But he said a hadith that hit me like, he, go, he goes, have you heard the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said? That some poverty could lead to kufr. What that means is for some people, poverty, if Allah, if they're poor, it can lead them to disbelief in God. And what he's trying to tell me is that you don't know why God put people in different situations and you don't know what they need. And that hadith tells us there are some people, literally there's a hadith that says, there are some people, if they were poor, they would disbelieve in God. And there are some people who, if they were rich, it would push them away from God. But God blesses us according to what is good for us. And that's the point of that. That's the, that's the idea. So how do we fight this hasad? How do we fight this hasad? Well, the first thing is you got to realize a few things about jealousy. The first thing is you got to realize a few things about jealousy. First of all, jealousy only creeps up with people who are close to each other commonly. People who are close to each other commonly, jealousy creeps up. And those who are related to each other and always near each other. Siblings, oh my God. 
Cousins? Man. People who are in the same field. You're a businessman. He's a businessman. Yo, that's where it creeps up. Shuyuk with shuyuk. Oh my God, yo. He's like, yo, don't go to that halakha. Yo, he's bidah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it always, it always pops up. Doctors hating on doctors. It always, it's always in someone who's in the same area of you or close with you. So you have to be very careful that hasid not come up in your closest relationships. In your closest relationships, that's where jealousy can creep in. So what are some of the cures for it? Number one is, uh, this was beautiful. Imam Muhasibi says, look at yourself. When you feel jealousy, realize this. Right now in this moment, you're no different than this believer's most wretched enemy because you want this believer to lose their blessings. Like, like think about it. That's heavy. Right in this moment, you're no different than the, most wor the worst enemy of this believer because you want the removal of this person's blessings. How evil does that make you? It's deep. Now, so the, the, the next way to cure it. If, you, if this person is truly someone who has like harmed you or like there's a true reason for animosity, even in that case, jealousy isn't suitable. And the reason is because of this fact, which is realize that not only does your jealousy not take away their blessing, but it takes away your biggest blessing, which was peace of heart and contentment. So as your jealousy increases, they're chilling and you're losing more and more of what God has blessed you with. And that's why one scholar said, it's like a rock you throw and it hits you in the eye because you're the one in pain, not the other person, subhanAllah. Like a rock you throw and hits the other person in the eye. And, and, and for me, one of the things, a practical, a practical, a practical trick to removing, uh, <laughs> subhanAllah, a practical trick to removing jealousy is uh, to make dua that Allah increase the person in the exact thing that you're jealous of. Yeah, y'all like, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But, but realize that that aib is in you and fight that actively. Oh, Allah, bless this person. Now, there's a caveat here. Sometimes you want something to be taken away from a person because you truly realize that that thing is harmful for their akhirah and their, and their deen. That's not hasad. Like, I truly know in the depths of my heart that that thing you have is, is taking you away from Allah. That dude's not a hater. He's a lover. That person's not a hater. That person loves you truly for the sake of Allah. Don't mix up that. The person that truly loves you for Allah will hope, wish, and make dua that Allah take away the things that are moving you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tayyib. So with that, we conclude the, 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 the sickness of uh, hasad. And the cure for that is the blessing of nasiha. Uh, and the Prophet وسلم, he was said, Adinu Nasiha. I know you know the hadith. The Prophet said, the deen, this religion is all about Nasiha, wishing well. And then the Sahaba, they said, for who, Ya Rasulullah? He said, Lillah, always have good expectations from God, y'all. Even in, in, in these moments specifically, I won't even say even. This is when you're truly tested, that you truly, truly, and subhanAllah, how many videos do we see of people in situations we could never imagine? And they say, Alhamdulillah. 
They're proving to us this reality. Having good expectations from Allah, having nasiha for the book of Allah, using it, reading it, having nasiha, good expectations uh, for, the, for the Prophet wasallam. Now this is a tough one. As I read it today, I said, ah. Oh. But the Prophet said, muslimin." The Prophet said, having nasiha, wishing well for the leaders of Muslims. And what that means is that you hope that they do the right thing in the right situation. And you make dua that Allah opens their heart to do the right thing. And lastly, nas that you have goodwill towards everyone you meet, everyone you interact with, that you wish good for them. Number two, so that's hasad. Clean your heart, watch your heart, realize that hasad will destroy your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We now move on to another, uh, the third, the third sickness of the heart that will stop your progress towards God. Um, and he says number three is al-ajal. The Arabic word is ajal. And it means to be hasty. It means for things, you want things to come very fast. You are rushing in things. And Imam Ghazali, he says, he says, uh, this is pretty deep, y'all. He says, as far as isti'jal, isti'jal, to rush. He says, فَإِنَّهُ خَسْلَةٌ this is, a, this is a quality that will make you miss your objectives in life. Oh my goodness. This is a quality that will make you miss your objectives in life. Meaning when you're rushing, you sometimes rush past what God really wanted you to witness in that moment. Rushing will destroy our relationship with Allah. Why? Because when we rush, we expect things to come when we want it, but they never come when we want it. They come when God wants it to come. And so the, 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 the person that is, that is hasty and has this quality of isti'jal, they're trying to bring things before their time that they're supposed to come. So what does he say? He says that this is a quality. It will cause you to lose your objectives. Lose your objectives. Being hasty causes you to fall into sin. I'll give you an example. SubhanAllah, I'm going to keep it real. It's a young room. Like a lot of us expect marriage at a certain time. So expect marriage at a certain time. Expect wealth at a certain time. But the money's not coming the way you expect it to come. When you expected it to come. And now there's haram option. There's a hadith that says, do not let what seems like a delay in risk force you to seek it from a haram place. Do not let what seems like a delay in risk Stop blaming your dad or your family for the sin you're doing. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's your fault. You're not letting me get married. That's a whole nother khutbah <laughs> for the parents. Anyways, but I didn't give that. They ain't even here. Why would I give that khutbah? <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is this hadith is clearly directed to you, which is don't let the delay in what seems to, what seems to be like a delay in risk force you to seek out your rizq, your sustenance, in a way that doesn't please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's deep, right? From this quality of being hasty, there are narrations that say that, uh, there are narrations that say, Wallahu alam, if they're true, they're narrated by our scholars, that the Quran says, that we have been created out of haste. 
There's tafsir that says when Adam was created and the soul was being blown into him, he was laying down. And when the soul got to just right here, you know, he, 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 he started to look around. And when the soul got to his waist, he sat up and tried to move. And Allah said, Like you're too hasty. As a creature, you're too hasty. Wallahu alam if it's authentic or not. But he says there's four things that can happen when you uh, have a hasty nature and you don't fight this out of your heart. I like to bring up the fact that a lot of us are always rushing and we're never at where we're supposed to be. <laughs> you, know I'm you know what I'm talking about? Like you're always rushing. And finally, like, if you're a dad, your, your son's probably finally like, Dad, when, are we, when will we be where we're supposed to be? We left the house rushing. We went to, the, to lunch, we rushed. On the way back, we rushed. Like, when will we ever be where we're supposed to be? And that's why he said you miss your objective when you rush. Because you don't know what God wants from you in a moment. And one thing I wrote here in my notes was, Moses was trying to get to, 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 to Egypt to see his wife's family, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had another objective for him. And he had to stop and pause and see what that objective was. And his life took a different track. But if you rush through life, you miss the objectives that God has for you. So hold on, let's see what he says here. He says, uh, the first thing that happens when you have a hasty nature, you, 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 you're trying to become a better Muslim. Please listen to this. You're trying to become a better Muslim. You're aiming for a higher status, meaning in, in your deen, be a better Muslim. You're trying hard to become better. You rush it. You rush it. Man, if you, if you relate this to any sports, every, every professional athlete will say you can't rush the process. You have to trust the process, right? You can't rush recovery to an injury. You have to take your time. And if you rush, you actually do what? Hurt yourself. My PT is in the room right now, so he's nodding his head, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not time yet. It's not time yet. What's the poet's name? Jalaluddin uh, Rumi. Now, half of y'all gonna dip like, uh, no, he, he quoted Jalaluddin Rumi, I'm out. La, la, Jalaluddin Rumi in kibar ulama, subhanAllah. Just because other people have taken his stuff and made it Pinteresty, but that doesn't mean we dislike what he said. In the, in the Mathnawi, this is a metaphor, and in the metaphor is just to get you to realize something deeper. So he says, it's, a, it's just a metaphor, you have to understand the poetry. He says that there's a chickpea. What? You heard this one? You heard this one? Aye. From me? <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Not everyone heard it. There's a chickpea in a pot. And the water is heating up. The water is heating up. And he said that this chickpea is screaming at the top of its lungs. Takes me out. Take me out. And the cook keeps pushing it back down saying, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. He says, that's us. There are situations that we're in that are heating up. And I know now speaking about this, it's, can it get any hotter? I understand. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying it's not time yet. It's not time yet. There's a reason for this. There's not time yet. And so uh, he says that, It's not time for that yet. Everything has been created for a specified time. فَإِنَّمَا فَإِمَّا أَنْ يَفْتُرْ 
What happens when you, here's the deal, what happens cognitively when you think you're supposed to be at some stage of development, uh, progression, spiritually, physically, and you're not there yet? You either work too hard and hurt yourself or you stop altogether. That's why this is such a dangerous trick of shaitan. You think you're supposed to be at a certain level spiritually. And that's why I tell all new Muslims, take your time. Anyone on this journey who's like, I got to get to this level, you are where you're supposed to be right now. Yes, we keep trying to become better. But don't let that desire to become better force you to reach the extremes of completely stopping or going too hard in the paint because you'll hurt yourself. So then he says, so the first thing that happens uh, the first thing that reason this case will come is you'll stop moving altogether. Remember, we said we're on a path towards God. And so one of the things that stops you is haste because you think you're supposed to be somewhere and you're not there. The next thing, this we need to listen closely to. The second problem that will happen is You have a desire, you have something that you want. There's a desire that you're seeking out. You're making dua for so you make dua for this thing. You make dua, you make a lot of dua for this thing. You do a lot of it. And you make fervent dua. Like all of us are right now. Everybody's dua has been leveled up, y'all. The whole ummah has become awake. Spiritually. The whole ummah has been rejuvenated. Sometimes you expect the answer to come quick. Some of us thought few qiyams, things would change immediately. And we pray that they do. But what we're learning here is he's saying, sometimes you're making dua and you don't realize it's not time yet. So what happens? You don't see the result. You don't think you see the result. You become weak. I read something in the tafsir that was amazing. They say between the time Moses made dua for the freedom of Bani Israel and the moment they got free was 40 years. We read in the Quran, it's like two pages. We're like, dang, that was quick. <laughs> La, the tafsir says it was 40 years between Moses' first dua for the liberation of Bani Israel and the moment where Pharaoh drowned in the sea, 40 years time. You can't let yourself become, become weak by expecting things to come immediately. And, and, and subhanAllah, you got to realize there's something deeper in dua. I read something so phenomenal, beautiful statement. Now, one of the scholars, he said, a dua, a dua, dua, yes, tayyib, samihni. A dua, yujibul hudur, wal ata, yujibul tasarruf. When you make dua, dua forces you to become present before God. When you get what you want, you leave. Standing at the door is better than getting what you want and leaving when you realize whose door you're at. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like, like. There was, you heard me say this before, there's a person that made dua for something for 40 years. They asked the sheikh, they said, sheikh, I've been making prayers for this thing. He said, don't you realize that 
than not giving was what, was what God was giving you? Who in this room has been begging for 40 years? We, we can't be hasty and we can't give up and we can't lose hope because you have to realize the objective of the dua always isn't what you ask for, but connection with the one you're asking. That is the objective of dua deeply, deeply, deeply. So he says, so sometimes you ask for something and now because you didn't get it, you become lazy, you become bored. Imam Ghazali says, I'm sure you've seen memes like this. He says like the dua was like you planted a seed and you watered it with more dua and you watered it with more dua and you watered it with more dua. But right before it was about to grow, you stopped dua. Keep watering that seed. Keep watering it. Keep watering it. There's a hadith I wanted to share with you. And we're, we're going to end it soon. This right now, if you need motivation in your life, you have to study the Meccan phase of the seerah of the life of the prophet right now. This is what you read right now. Take any book of seerah, the life of the prophet, and just read straight through the Meccan phase. You will literally get so much solace and comfort by knowing we've been here before. We, this ain't the first rodeo. This ain't the first one. Listen to this narration. Khabab bin Arat. Khabab bin Arat was somebody who the Sahaba used to look at and say nobody went through what he went through. He was in Mecca, had no protection. No protection. He says himself, they used to put my... It's, SubhanAllah, if it hadn't been for the things we were seeing over the last month, it would be hard to narrate this. But for some reason, it's not even hard to say what he said he went through. He said, they used to put hot coals out through the flesh of my back. Through the flesh of my back. And I was punished and punished and punished for believing in Allah. And then he says, here's the narration. Shakawna ila Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One day, we went to the Prophet in Mecca. We, meaning us 30, 40 Muslims. That's all there is. We went to the Prophet ﷺ and he was sitting next to the Kaaba. And we said to him these words. Imagine the, the, the strength of what they said it. Ya, ya Rasulullah, won't you ask Allah to help us? Won't you make dua for us? Meaning you're the Prophet of God. If you make this dua, it's, all, it's, it's over. We know you're the prophet of God. Will you not make dua? And, and the one who asked him was Khabab, not someone who had not been through difficulty. The prophet wasallam, he sat up and he said, not yet. There were men before us, men and women before us who they used to dig a ditch for them and place them up to their neck in the ground. And they would place an ax on their head and kill them. But they would not give up their religion. They would hold strong. Wallahi, it would be hard to narrate that narration if it wasn't for what we've been witnessing for the last month. People who go through the most, subhanAllah. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, 
وَيَمْشُطُ بِأَمْشَاطِ الْحَدِيدِ بَيْنَ الْأَذَمِ وَالْلَحْمِ They would take a type of a comb and, and, and comb back the skin. But this would not stop a person from believing in God. Meaning people struggled for the sake of holding on to what was correct and good. And then the Prophet said, Don't worry, the promise of God is true. Don't worry. And then he said, but you're being too hasty. Let God's plan play out. Let's let, keep making your dua. Never ever give up your dua. Get closer to Allah in these times, but never be hasty. One time the Prophet ﷺ in a hadith, he says, I'm almost done. You're always answered in your duas as long as you don't, you don't uh, become impatient. The Sahaba said, what do you mean impatient? The Prophet, he said, you say, You say, I asked, I asked, I asked, but God never gave me. So you stop making dua. So we have to understand the importance of just realizing that thing come, things come on Allah's time, not our time. One, per, one scholar, he said, my job is dua, Allah's job is answering. Let me focus on what I'm supposed to do. My job, I'm, my wadifa is dua. That's my wadifa, that's what I'm supposed to do. The wadifa of answering is with God. I'll leave that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next thing he says, and we're almost done. The third thing, someone oppresses you. He's saying a Muslim here does something wrong, cuts you off in the parking lot, I don't know. And you make dua, you say something just off the top of your you know, dome about this person. right? And he goes, But you cause that person hardship because of your dua. It was because you were hasty. You didn't pause. You didn't take time. The quality of the believer is that we take our time. Now hold up. When it comes to good deeds, we rush to them. Well, we rush to them. We rush to them. When it comes to good deeds, we rush to them. But the quality of the Muslim is that we have a, a quality of looking into things before we jump into them. That is what a Muslim does. It's called al-anatu min Allah. We look closely at things. And so he says uh, that number four thing you need to realize is that all ibadah is focused, is about being scrupulous and careful about what you do. And that being careful is about looking closely at the things you're going to do with yourself and making sure what you're doing is, is good for you. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you do, you, you look into it. But if you become a person that is hasty and you're not deliberate and take time, then you will fall into sin and disobey God. And so, subhanAllah, brothers and sisters, uh, the, the Imam Ghazali has given us two things for our hearts to work on. Number one is, is jealousy and wishing good for people. And when we see people with different blessings, how should we respond to that? When we see people struggling, how should we respond to that? The last thing I want to say about that is we always keep our gaze high, gaze high when it comes to the blessings of this deen. Look to people that have done more than you so that you can aspire to become like them, right? Don't ever say regarding your religion, at least I'm not. Don't ever say, at least I'm not. Because then I'm going to say, you should say that about your deen. At least you ain't broke. At least you ain't making less. You're like, no, no, I'm trying to make, make stacks, yo.
But at least you're not. You, at least you're not. When it comes to your dean, never say, at least I'm not. When it comes to your dunya, you say, at least I'm not. That will make you grateful. And that is taught to us by the Prophet. So we'll end, inshallah ta'ala.